Welcome to Sin Escapism, the podcast by two friends who love to talk about the movies. I'm Kendra Bean. And I'm Anthony Ujarovsky. Hey! Hi, Kendra. Hi, birthday boy. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I'm so old, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> You're like 30. One. 31. Well, I mean, I'm technically next year going to be halfway to 75 years old, so. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, well, you look wonderful. Oh, thanks. I look good for my age. I haven't had any work done yet. Ageless goddess. (laughs) Ageless. (laughs) Taking my vitamins. (laughs) It's the cool northern air, I think, that's keeping you young. Yeah, yeah, the dampness just keeps my skin (laughs) hydrated. Doesn't dry out. Anyhow. So, you you had a birthday recently, and you went to a restaurant that Ava Gardner used to go to. Is that right? Oh, yeah, so I continue to stalk Ava Gardner in death. I mean, As Ava's death, not my death, her death. It's commendable. <laughs> yeah, so I went, <laughs> my lovely friend Abby, who we mentioned in our first episode because her boyfriend comes from Marietta, Georgia. <laughs> but anyway, Abby um, invited me to this lovely restaurant around the corner from where Ava used to live in Knightsbridge. Um, and it's called Montpelliano. And it's really nice. It's this Italian place. And apparently Ava used to go there. And actually, just before we started recording this episode tonight, I got a message from a gentleman who lives in Knightsbridge. And he told me that he met Ava when he was a 14-year-old boy. Oh, my um, gosh. I know. And she used to That's so um, sweet. walk her corgis. And he started chatting to her without obviously knowing who she was. And then they became friends. And then they went to the restaurant together as well. So currently, I'm trying to get this poor man to meet me and tell me more so <laughs> he'll love you when he does meet you i think he's a bit terrified of like who is this strange person trying to like meet up with me but well but know. didn't he message you he did yes to be so fair. i mean <laughs> he's kind of asking for it <laughs> i know but well we'll see how it goes i hope to meet him um and yeah so that was great and i'm also really excited because i've got an article coming out next week in the Londoner magazine, which is this really cool, um, pretty new magazine that's actually um, online, but it's coming out in print for the first time this month. Oh, cool. Uh, And the article is about um, sort of the aging actresses in London. So I'm writing about Vivian and Ava Gardner and Louise Reiner and I think it's it's quite interesting. I mean, for, to me, it's a very interesting topic. So that's coming out next week. So people that's really interesting. Yay. Check it out. Um, well, they probably don't have that up here in the north, but I'll read it online. Yeah, the article will be online. Link. So I will be posting I will. and I will be advertising myself shamelessly. <laughs> <laughs> These days, that's what you have to do. You can't just rely on other people to advertise for you. You just have to go out and be like... I'm amazing. Look at what I can do. And just, you know, if you got it, flaunt it. And you've got it. So you should flaunt it. I'll just Sally Field all over the internet being like, love me. (laughs) But anyway, you've had some very exciting news this week as well. Yeah, well, it was last week, I think on, when was it, Monday or something? And I woke up. Um, and I was on, I checked Twitter as I do when I get up, I like immediately go online, which is probably why I start the day like really grumpy because I see all of this like crap about Donald Trump and things like that. And then anyway, I went on Twitter and my friend Katie, who I did a museum studies degree with, she said, she, she's like, oh, she tagged me in a comment. She said, Kendra, you're literally name dropped in this article. And I was like, what? You know? whatever and I clicked on it was on deadline and basically it's been announced that the book that I wrote Vivian Lee an intimate portrait is going to be turned into a tv miniseries starring Natalie Dormer from Game of Thrones and I'm really excited about it because actually this has been going on like for about two years now um Main Street Productions and Natalie they uh bought what's called like the shopping rights to my book. So basically they had like a year to kind of shop it around and um, 
try and get like a screenwriter attached and a distribution company and that you know got renewed a couple of times and then so now basically they have a screenwriter that's attached to it called Stuart Harcourt um I asked a co-worker of mine who said yeah he's pretty cool because he's done Poirot and oh, I said yeah. okay well that's good yay <laughs> that's a and good also <laughs> that's a good start and then also um a distribution company called Fremantle Media and apparently they're quite big so I'm really excited um I know it's these sorts of projects, news. like, yeah, it is really big. And I know these sorts of projects, like, you know, you never know if they're actually going to happen and they can take years and years and years. And sometimes a lot of time goes by and then it just kind of fizzles out. But I'm actually, you know, I have hopes for this because I think it's a good sign that they've got a screenwriter attached and uh, a company that wants to distribute it worldwide as well. So, and I really think that Natalie can do a good job as Vivian because, she does have quite a similar look to Vivian Lee, and I mean, I've met her in person, guys, so I can tell you that, yes, she is very pretty. Um, but also, she's, like, really keen on the part, so I think, yeah. you know, she's been doing her homework, I think she can pull it off, and I'm, I really hope it happens. She very passionate about it. Yeah, she really is. I know she's been into the archive at the VNA to um, read up on letters and things like that. So she's really, you know, putting a lot of effort into trying to get to know Vivian better. And I have the same sorts of like hopes and fears as other fans do, and that I, mm. I don't want her to. I don't want Vivian to be portrayed as just like this crazy person as she tends to be a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of depth and she had such an interesting story arc. So, um, yeah, I think they can do a good job and I really hope it, it pans out. Absolutely. Me too. And, you know, I think just the fact that they've reached out for your, you know, for your book and that they're really doing their research is, is a good sign that it's going to be more than just a sort of sensationalistic piece. But I think yeah. they're actually... And also I read somewhere, I'm not sure where I read it, that um, each episode will be sort of focused around... Uh, a project that she did so a movie role or or a part that she did so I'm yeah sure it'll be really interesting to see um when the pre-production is a bit further along uh how the script is coming out and everything um but i'm really excited about like the prospect of it and the ideas that they've put forward so far so um you know just hold on to your hats and i'll share any information as it comes <laughs> and i'm allowed to say it um yeah so i you know it's all good fingers crossed that it all happens and it's very I, exciting i'm glad yeah I'm and actually speaking of of the of the of series based on our favorite people there's as i mentioned before there's a spanish language um tv series coming out in september with debbie mazar playing ava gardner which is really exciting and actually mm -hmm. um i just spoke to debbie on via instagram recently and she actually just it came out she wasn't actually aware that um, we had done a book about Ava. She said, oh, I, I thought I'd read everything there was to read about her and I wasn't aware of your book last year. So maybe it's because it only came out last year. So I offered to yeah. send it to her and she was really happy. So um, yay for Debbie. And I'm really That's looking really forward nice. to... Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's really great when, you know, people appreciate your work. And it's kind of like this exchange because I was like, oh, I really appreciate that you're playing Ava. And she said, oh, I really appreciate that you're writing about Ava. So, like, you know, it's really nice. Oh, sort of mutual she appreciation. Nice. She's lovely. I mean, yeah. I think she's done quite a lot of TV and, and stuff. And she started in the 80s, sort of, um, she's actually one of Madonna's best friends, which is probably what she's known for on the internet, which is quite I imagine for her it must be quite annoying because if you go on her Instagram like every single day she's being tagged in photos only it's not her it's Madonna so like people just tag her in I don't know it's a bit oh well, and she's like yeah I've seen this one because I was there so <laughs> you don't need to keep tagging me I'm aware that this happened <laughs> yeah it's just like oh, thanks a lot I'm not Madonna by the way but yeah no she's she's lovely so I'm looking forward to seeing the the series yeah so when is that airing again well, it's it's a Spanish series, so it's going to be on Spanish TV in September. But obviously, Debbie's, um, you know, she's performing in English. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, oh. I, I, I'd imagine because it's about Ava's years in Madrid and sort of mm -hmm. her adventures in Madrid. So I don't know. I really hope that sort of an American or a UK distributor picks it up and, and it's yeah. it airs here as well. We'll see. But, I bet it will appear on Netflix at some point. 
Yeah, that would be great. Yes. Um, so yeah. Anyway, what today we actually wanted to talk about yet another Hollywood icon. Miss yes, Hedy Lamar. Lamar. Yes. Talking about Ms. Hetty. That's right. Um, we both actually we watched uh, the new documentary Bombshell recently, and Anthony, you did a review of it for is it Screen International? Film International, yeah. Film International, sorry. I did, yeah. It was really interesting. So the editor of the magazine actually approached me and said, would you like to do this document, uh, the review of this documentary? And it was a good few months ago, so it was before all the buzz happened. And um, yeah, I think it's been getting some great press and it actually came here to London, the producers and the director, Alexandra... Um, God, her name just escaped me. Dean. Alexandra Dean. Dean yeah. <laughs> and Susan Sarandon, who's one of the producers, they came to the BFI and they did a talk about it. And Oh, did um, you go to that? I didn't, no, unfortunately. Oh. I posted my review well. on Twitter and it got retweeted by by Alexandra Dean, so that was very nice. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah, I, I'm interested to know like how she became interested in Hedy. Well, I thought she did a really good job on this documentary because um, just to give you guys a little background on Hedy Lamar, um, she was born in 1914 in Vienna. Uh, her original name was Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler and her father was a German banker and her mother was from Budapest and she was a, a pianist. Um, her family heritage is actually Jewish, although Hedy um, was raised as a Christian. And basically, when Hetty was growing up, her father was someone she was very close to and her father kind of instilled in her this interest in the world around her and nature and how technology worked and, and engineering and things like that. Um, and when Hetty was a teenager, she was discovered by Max Reinhardt, the German producer, and um, she soon went on the stage and then into films in Vienna and Czechoslovakia. And her big break came in 1933 with a Czech film called Ecstasy, which was really known. Um, it gained international fame because she appears nude in it and also it features her um, simulating a female orgasm, which I think was like the first time that had happened ever in yeah. cinema. And because it was racy and European, um, even though it was like technically like a pre-code kind of era, I think the Hollywood censors would have just like had a stroke if they saw that. <laughs> but she became really famous because of it. And then um, when she was 18, she got married to the first of six husbands, uh, a munitions manufacturer called Fritz Mandel. And uh, Mandel sold armaments to people like Benito Mussolini and to Hitler uh, after the rise of the Nazis. And so through, um, you know, the parties that he would have where there would be prominent Germans there. Uh, she would learn about things that were going on in the war effort and technology and secret behind the scenes army kind of technology and things like that, <laughs> uh, which I'm probably not explaining very well, but we can talk about it more when we talk about the documentary. But anyway, so her relationship with Fritz Mandel was not a very um, healthy one or happy one. He was quite a bit older than her. And um, one day she just decided that she'd had enough of it. Um, she was also, because she was technically Jewish, uh, when the Nazis came to power, it was quite a perilous situation for a lot of people in Austria and Germany. Um, a lot of Jewish people ended up fleeing to America or to you know France or the UK. Uh, and so a lot of um, expats from Germany and Austria came over to Hollywood and contributed their European flair to Hollywood filmmaking. So you have people like F.W. Murnau and uh, Fritz Lang, uh, lots of people who came over and did really great things. Uh, Marlene Dietrich is another one. Um, Billy Wilder so later as well. Billy Wilder, exactly. And so when Hetty uh, decided to leave her husband, um, she was actually picked up by Louis B. Mayer on the boat over to New York. And he signed her to a contract and told her to come out to Hollywood. And sort of the rest is, the rest is kind of history, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. And, you know, she didn't, she didn't have a very easy career in films. I mean, I think the notoriety that followed her over from ecstasy never quite left her and her reputation was forever kind of 
um, blemished in a way. Um, I think Louis B. Mayer especially because he was quite, you know, he pigeonholed her into this category of a easy virtue sort of woman. <laughs> so from the start she played, and of course because she was so stunning to look at, I mean she was known then as the most beautiful woman in the world, which was obviously one of those publicity taglines that you know, classic Hollywood was so famous for. They made someone into the most whatever. And, and then he couldn't escape it. And she never really did. But I think in terms of movies, she's largely forgotten today because she doesn't really have a very strong sort of track record of performances. I think one of her first big Hollywood films was called Algiers, in which she um, appeared um, opposite Charles Boyer. Mm-hmm. And that was the film that made her a star in America. Although she was obviously already known in America because of ecstasy, the film actually made it to America and um, it w- was shown in some of the big cities like New York and there were queues of people wanting to see it, obviously, and it was condemned <laughs> by the League of Decency and, like, you know, they wanted to burn all the copies. And actually her first husband... You could, only, you could only go view ecstasy by showing up at, like, one of the seedy theatres and whispering the password, Eddie! <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that, yeah, it was a bit like that. But I think actually even her first husband like tried to burn all the copies of it because he was so ashamed. I mean, he wasn't ashamed to work with Hitler, but he was ashamed that his wife's, you know, bottom was on film. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I think a lot of the men back then, a lot of Nazis back then and fascists um, wanted con- like total control over things and didn't appreciate quote unquote like loose women although to be fair in ecstasy Hetty was actually tricked into doing the nude scene so the director whose name I'm going to look up on Wikipedia right now um, his name was Gustav Makati it's a, um, a Czech name which I'm probably completely butchering but anyway Ooh. he said that oh you know don't worry about doing these nude scenes it's going to be you know a, a far away shot a long distance shot. Um, you don't need to worry about it. Nothing. No one's going to see anything. And then so uh, basically there's a scene where she's swimming in a lake and then mm. another where she's running through the woods. But unbeknownst to her, Gustav used uh, a telephoto lens when filming it. And so he got his close-ups without her knowing about it. And I can see why this would have made her really upset because obviously it's kind of exploitative and he didn't get her permission to do that. And she explicitly said, you know, I don't want to do these nude scenes, but she did it anyway. Um, And that was really what she was known for thereafter. And it's It's really kind of sad. It's a bit like the Sharon Stone scene in Basic Instinct where she crosses her legs. Uh, And apparently she said that when they were making it, she was assured that nothing would, you know, you wouldn't be able to see anything. And obviously we all know you can see everything. So... It's a bit of a dirty trick that filmmakers, well, male film filmmakers usually do, too. Well, this is what it says on Wikipedia about ecstasy. It says, although Hetty was dismayed and now disillusioned about taking other roles, the film gained worldwide recognition after winning an award in Rome. Throughout Europe, it was regarded as an artistic work, while in America was considered overly sexual and received negative publicity, especially among women's groups. It was banned in America and in Germany. Hmm. So, while she went on to the stage, um, she did a starring role as Cece, the Austrian Empress, uh, and won lots of accolades. And, yes, that's yeah. before So Hollywood. she was actually, yeah. I think... She, I think she showed a lot of early promise and talent, but I think she was one of those people who, when she got to Hollywood, she was typecast and not really given great opportunities Absolutely. to play She's... in roles that, that that show what she could really do. I Because in the, I haven't seen that the whole film of Ecstasy, but in the clips that I have seen, she seems very like sensual and like really knows how to play for the camera. Whereas in her early Hollywood films, it's very much like... She's just this kind of like ice queen lady, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they're to they're to seduce them. Yeah, but it's very interesting because she appeared at this time sort of sandwiched between um, those early European goddesses like Garbo and Dietrich, and then um, those post-war noir heroines like Rita Hayworth and Ava Gardner, and and mm-hmm. Hedy sort of came between the two, and she sort of has the characteristics of of both of them but she i don't know i think 
her time wasn't great. I think maybe if she had come later, she would have had a better career. But I think at the time that she was in Hollywood, it was not a great time for for someone of her particular talent. Yeah, I think she too, like, it's kind of like Ava Gardner, where when she signed up for MGM, they had a hard time kind of figuring out exactly what to do with her and, and what roles to give her that would really let her shine. And I think the same thing happened with Hetty. Um, I watched a film a couple of days ago called Boomtown that stars yes. Clark Gable and Spencer <laughs> Tracy and Claudette Colbert. And, you know, she'd been in Hollywood for like two years before this film was made in 1940 and she basically has like you know a 10 minute walk on roll in the later part of the film playing the woman who just wants to uh, steal Clark Gable from Claudette Colbert I mean who wouldn't well yeah but <laughs> but still I mean it's just kind of sad because she's obviously like she she's basically just playing the glamorous arm candy yeah I mean the film glamorous was a huge success European vixen sort of solidified her her status as this really beautiful exotic creature but I mean great film roles just failed to come afterwards unfortunately I mean she was a huge star throughout the war she was one of the most popular stars in America and she was particularly popular among servicemen Um, yes and then she appeared in this film called White Cargo in 1942 which was now looking at it's quite embarrassing because you know she plays this native woman of sort of Quest. I mean, I'm not really sure where she's supposed to be from, but she sort of wears something that resembles blackface, which is quite... <laughs> is it like, is she supposed to be from like the South Seas or something I, like that? I think so. I think I read some notes that said that like they were confused about where to like set the film. And so it turns out to be just this like mixture of different things. But, you know, she plays this sort of oversexed, uh, sort of primitive native, you know, sex object and it was really sad because it was around that time that she actually came up with that brilliant invention that we can talk about but she it's played the, the Tandaleo exactly and she played Tandaleo <laughs> and at night she like went home and worked on on like this huge invention that would change like communication forever so it's like a very strange and kind of sad contrast between the two Exactly. And this is what Alexander Dean's documentary Bombshell wants to highlight. Because Hetty was known for being such like a she was she was a beautiful epitome of a classic Hollywood star, uh, a screen movie goddess. But she was actually extremely intelligent um, and she is very science minded as well. So this movie delves into her invention, uh, which was called the uh, secret communication system, which she invented with a guy called um what is his name? George. George Antheil. Yeah. What was his name? That guy. George Antheil, <laughs> um, who was a composer, a film composer. And um, so after Hetty would be at the studio all day, she'd come home and to unwind, she wouldn't really go to many parties or sit around and drinking. She would tinker around with, uh, you know, electronics and invent things. And, and she really wanted to make a difference in the world in that way. She was very mathematical minded as well. Um, so she and George Anseel got together. And by this time in nine, I think the, the patent was, um, that they submitted was approved in 1944. Is that right? I think four right? or three, maybe. Let I think, see. I think she worked at it I mean, initially, I think it was because she was really worried about her mother, who was still sort of stranded in Europe, and she was really yeah. worried about, and she tried to get her safely to the States, and because so many ships were being um, torpedoed and bombed by the Germans, this she really wanted to find a way of um, sort of finding uh, a torpedo, uh, or inventing a torpedo system that would be undetectable by the German submarines, and therefore, you know, so that was the yeah, aim. Yeah, so... Basically, she and George Antill got together. It was actually um, August 11th, 1942 was when the U.S. um, patent was accepted. Yeah, Um, so the same year as White Cargo. (laughs) Yeah. So basically what they wanted to do was um, invent a system, a radio signaling system that couldn't be interrupted by enemy forces. And it would basically, um, you could either send torpedoes or kind of block torpedoes i think i'm getting that right but i it was called I'm frequency really not hopping that into wasn't science. it 
Yeah, frequency hopping and spread spectrum technology. And basically the way they devised it was using these um, player piano rolls where the the frequency would skip the little holes in the roll. And um, when they submitted this patent, uh, they worked really hard on it. And Hetty said, okay, I'm going to send it to Washington. They need, you know, they should hire me in Washington because I have all these ideas. And also she picked up on... Um, sort of these insights into the German army and uh, Hitler's army when she was married to Mandel, Fritz Mandel. So when she was at these parties and they would be chatting with these munitions dealers and, and arms purchasers, I think she got um, quite a lot of ideas or <laughs> basically like, what am I trying to say? Basically, she, <laughs> I think she was really a keen listener and picked up on a lot of what was going on. And so she was able to apply that to her idea of how to uh, help her adopted country against the Nazis. Yeah, I mean, I think especially before, because in those days, like beautiful women are probably just seen as like decorative objects at parties. People probably wouldn't like stop talking about important things because they would think, mm. oh, she's just you know a beautiful wife. Like, what can she know? <laughs> yeah, well, there's this book that came out a few years ago about Hedy Lamar, uh, wherein George Antheil is actually quoted saying, like, oh, I just thought she was this really beautiful lady. I didn't know she had a brain as well. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, oh, okay, well, you invented this thing with her. But <laughs> when they submitted this patent, um, the army basically said thanks, but no thanks. They thought yeah. it was too difficult to implement at the time, but also they were really wary of implementing any technology that was made by people who weren't in the army and on top of that Hetty was actually still I mean she was still an Austrian citizen she wasn't an American and so I think she was looked upon as with a bit of like mistrust yeah. as well and but so also basically because the, probably because she was a, a female movie star that couldn't have helped yeah. her case <laughs> well she actually um, she submitted it she submitted the patent using her married name which at the time was Hetty Hetty Kiesler Markey so okay. it wasn't Hetty Lamar but yeah, they were probably just like, oh, well, you know, this. But they basically, the U.S. military sat on it until the 1950s during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then they said, oh, you know what? Let's dig this out and do something with it. But by that time, um, the patent had lapsed. So yeah. Hetty and George Antheil, they never received any money from it. But yeah. it's gone on to, I mean, it was used during uh, the Bay of Pigs. It was um, implemented in, in like uh, air missiles from the US. I'm totally not explaining this well because I don't really know science or technology that much, but <laughs> I'm trying my best here to understand it. Um, but it's been used by the military ever since. And it's become this huge um, sort of irreplaceable technology. But moreover, Today, it's what's it was it is what forms the basis of Bluetooth, GPS, and wireless. So, really, without Hedy Lamar, we wouldn't even be talking right now in these well, two different could, locations. We could be talking, but no one would know about it. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't be talking through the computer on yeah, Skype. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's quite extraordinary. I think. It really is. And I think it's her story is such an important story to be told, especially now. We've got this era of empowerment for women and women's achievements and sort of the Me Too movement. And I think even though the documentary was actually made before the whole Harvey Weinstein scandal, it like really Mm. lands so perfectly, you know, in the middle of it. And I think it's such a, a great story and it really needs to be told and retold. And I think we also watched this other documentary which was made about Hedy in 2004, which was called Calling Hedy Lamar and it was made by her son. And it's such a contrast between that documentary made like a decade ago, over a decade ago and, and this one. So when he made that documentary, it was a very personal documentary for him. It was more about sort of dis- discovering and rediscovering his mother and finding that lost relationships because obviously she was you know a very complicated person and growing up Mm. a child of a movie star is never easy as we know from other stories as well of other movie stars but yeah but it was so sad i just wanted to say just can i just say something else about bombshell too and i think it's highlighted in in 
calling Hetty as well. But in Bombshell, I mean, it really highlights the fact that women weren't really taken seriously when it came to science. And I think that so often um, female scientists are often overlooked or their work is just brushed aside or like outright stolen by men. Yeah. So um, at work right now, I'm sort of working on a blog series based on images in the Daily Herald archive about forgotten women in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and maths. And it's like a really big thing in UK schools and in museums right now. And Hetty was one of the people that I wrote about. And I just, I think it's, you know, it's so sad when people get pigeonholed into one image and then all of their achievements otherwise are just kind of forgotten. But I feel like she contributed to that as well because she never really talked about her inventions or her love of technology or just kind of her tinkering and everything. She just sort of said like, oh, you know, it's just something I do as a hobby and she Mm. never really... Yeah, she, I think, she never tooted her own horn in that way. I think it's easier. I mean, it could have been easy for her at the time. I think it was so alien, the idea of, of her doing it, that even she herself probably didn't have that much trust in her own abilities, I would say. I don't know. I mean, even yeah, her, own, I mean, her own kids were like, when she talked to her daughter about it, her daughter would be like, yeah, of course you did, mom. Like, Yeah, she's like, oh, I have an invention. Let me show you the patent. And they were like, uh-huh, sure, Jan. You know? Like, like no one took her seriously. Sure, so, and she was just constantly being told that, you know, you're just a beautiful, glamorous star and you have to focus on that. And, you know, I think if you're told something over and over by everyone around you, it's so easy to, to doubt yourself. And there was really no one to validate validate her for no well i mean she wrote a book as well in the 1960s called ecstasy and me which i was actually reading at work for my blog post and it's a very racy book and i I was getting like embarrassed i was like she denied ever writing i mean she said it was like she worked with a ghostwriter and and you know he distorted her words and like she really distanced herself from that book she didn't like it at all so no but it was very uh risque and nsfw and i probably shouldn't have been reading it on my computer at work but <laughs> oh it was God. for research purposes really? was it that i didn't realize it was that right uh, yeah i mean yeah it's all about like first of all the introduction <laughs> is written by um like a sex therapist person and it's all <laughs> about like hetty's sex life in minute detail and wow. some of the orgies that she went to and her supposed like bisexuality and everything and i was just like a, I did not know any of this, but B, it didn't talk about her inventions at all. Well, no. I don't. <laughs> so, yeah, she's, obviously it wasn't that important to her at the time, or maybe her ghostwriter just said, mm-hmm, sure, lady, and just kept writing about I mean, it would be interesting. her I mean, adventures in bed. In, in Bombshell, there's this moment like this, uh, this interview from the 60s where she's on with Woody Allen, actually, of all people, and she, like very aggressively says oh i didn't write that book i'm actually working on my own book now in which i will tell Mm. my story and she never actually got to do that book and that's what's so interesting about bombshell as well that we get to hear this interview from 90 like telephone interview from 1990 that she did for uh which was it forbes magazine i think it's forbes yeah Mm -hmm. and that's really that's what makes this documentary so interesting is that we hear her own voice and kind of snippets of her own story told by her you know, older self. So that's mm. really interesting. And she does say that, you know, I was an inventor and I, I never thought I was that beautiful anyway. I think people's minds are more interesting than than their looks. So, you know, I think she was aware of it, but her whole life was based around her image and like so many yes, other actresses it, of that really time. It's really sad because when she got older, <clears throat> and I know this happens to a lot of people, like you see like Kim Novak uh, is an example, Isabella Johnny is an example, so many women are examples, but when you're known as this very beautiful woman and your face is really your currency despite any of the other attributes that you have or things that you try and and push forward and say actually I'm a three-dimensional person um if you're if your face is really how the world knows you um I think there's a lot of pressure to maintain that image when you get older um not just for other people but for yourself as well and so unfortunately Hetty underwent some 
really awful plastic surgery in her later years. And it's really quite sad. And she just wanted to, you know, try and appear young. But I think it always backfires on people because... Yeah, especially yeah. in those days, as you say, I mean, she was really a pioneer in terms of plastic surgery. She started doing it mm. in, in the 60s, I think, which, when it was really mm-hmm. underdeveloped. And it, they really ruined her face, which is so sad, obviously. Yeah. Poor Hetty. Yeah. Well, I, I really love, I mean, in terms of Bombshell, I thought they did a great job. I think it's, it's great that they're focused on her in- inventions and really just showing how much she has contributed to society and the way we live our lives today um, in a way that, you know, is beyond anything she could have imagined when she was tinkering in the attic of her Beverly Hills home in 1941. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. so I thought, you know, it's a great job focusing on that and really just giving women like Hetty their due. And I think it's it's about damn time. And now, um, as I read on Wikipedia, it says in 2014, Hetty Lamar and George Antheo were posthum- posthumously inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Oh. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. I mean, her son in that other documentary was showing like a whole box full of like things that she was given later. Because I yeah. think it did come out before she died. Like, so a few years before she died, she started being recognized, and like also like people started talking about it, and she started being invited to attend, you know, events which she never went to because she was embarrassed mm-hmm. about how she looked, which is really really sad, I think. But that yeah. is sad. So her son would go to some of them, and yeah, it's. I mean, by then it was I think too late. She it was like fifty years too late. She should have been recognized yeah. at the well, time. Yeah, well, she was very ahead of her time. Absolutely. In a lot of ways. In many um, ways, that's right. Not just in terms of her inventions, but also in terms of like her life in Hollywood and, you know, mm. the way she, her relationships often suffered because, you know, the man that she dated only saw that beautiful face. And, you know, when they saw that she was actually, a re- you know, a real person, a three-dimensional person, they kind of got scared. And, you know, it was very hard for her to find Yeah companionship as well so in many ways I mean she was as she said in that interview herself she was like I'm a simple complicated person (laughs) sums it up really well aren't we all well Uh, well, the Calling Hattie Lamar documentary I thought was interesting but I I don't quite think that Anthony Loder her son um, really achieved what he set out to do with it which was to get to know his mom more um because like so he and his sister denise their dad was the actor john loader who left when they were kids and so they were brought up by hetty as a single mom uh, and she did remarry a few times um but really they were sort of as a lot of children of famous people are and were you know shipped off to boarding school off to summer camp so they didn't really see Hetty very much and I thought it was really sad when Denise said you know Hetty shouldn't have been a mom because she wasn't there for them but so with the film itself I think Anthony Loder probably did learn a lot about his mom through speaking with some of her friends and people who got to know her in the later years of her life when she really I mean she became a recluse and died kind of without very much money which is really incredibly sad but um in terms of what we see in the documentary I didn't feel like we learned really much of anything about Hetty at all I don't Mm. know what do you think well I think it was just a very emotional film it was obviously he um is or was at the time so obsessed with with her but he mm-hmm. really only knew her as an image, much like we do. I mean, he mm-hmm. they didn't really know her very well. She was very much absent for most yeah, of their childhood. Yeah, I mean, childhood. the only photos that he was showing in the film were, you know, studio yeah. portraits. Like, we didn't see any snapshots of her. Um, maybe they didn't have any. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's very much seemed like he was trying to figure out who she was behind this, behind Hedy Lamar. Like, who was the real Hedy Lamar? And... It was very haunting. I mean, I really, I enjoyed it. I I wouldn't say it was like the definitive sort of documentary to learn about Hedy Lamarr's life and career or anything like that. But it was certainly like a very interesting take on it. And I I always enjoy sort of those sort of experiments. And, you know, I'm really fascinated by like later life of Hollywood legends. (laughs) Yeah. And like how, how like they become sort of tossed away and 
lonely and especially the golden age stars really but even now i mean still goes on today if you look at stars like you know i don't want to name names because they, they're still around and it might be hurtful you can but, name names it's okay but you know it's just like people like meg ryan or or melanie griffith or like those really yeah it girls from the 80s and 90s and now they're like you know people are making fun of them and they're really unflattering pictures of them on the internet all the time and mm. people talk about their plastic surgery and speculate how much they've had done and you know i think it's just really cruel and really horrible and it's it's such a a huge part of our culture i think we do it all the time and you know it's, yeah there's it's, a it's real uh, emphasis on beauty and youth and retaining you know this cherubic kind of young yeah. image of oneself exactly but beauty um, is and, only and sort of reduced to the young beauty i mean we don't appreciate older faces or the beauty of mm. an older of an older face and that's something that i think really should be changed because a, an older person can still be beautiful and it doesn't have to have plastic surgery to be, to be considered beautiful so i, I think know that's... well i think it's going to take a, a fundamental cultural shift yeah for people to say you know what i don't need all this stuff i can age gracefully and it's you know a lot to do with like the modeling industry the advertising industry the film industry the tv industry mm. uh which sort of pushes this unrealistic image of women especially um yeah. And I think Hedy Lamarr's and story is, is very indicative of that, and she's such a, she's almost like yeah. a, a tragic poster girl for that because she was elevated so much because she was considered to be you know the most beautiful, and then mm. it's to, the, the fall from grace from that is just un, unimaginable. I, I found it quite sad. Um, I think it's in both of the documentaries, but especially in calling Hedy Lamarr, there's a clip toward the end where it's a home video of her in her house in Los Angeles, I guess. I think um, she, she died in Florida, so I don't know if she lived in Florida at the end oh. of her life. Well, okay, <clears throat> so she was in a house and she was you know, nearing the end of her life. Um, she was elderly and she just had all of these photographs of her yeah. scattered about her bedroom, like her with Clark Gable in Comrade X, uh, pictures of her by Laszlo Willinger and George Chirell and people like that, just, you know, uh, yeah. all these pictures of her and her prime and her great beauty and she would point at them and say that's me that yeah. was me that was <laughs> me now I can finally rest and it was like oh this is really sad yeah I just like oh Hetty and and he said her son said that she would give them to like family members and those like mm. glamour portraits of herself signed and like because she thought that that's what people expected and wanted of her was that yeah. image and you know it's sad because she I had mean in a way it's so true. much more I'm sure to, if to people give wrote, but yeah I'm sure if people wrote to her like if fans wrote to her and said you know can I have a signed image it would have been one from the 1940s that they would want which is fair enough you know but yeah it's it's just so sad to see someone in their decline like that and just kind of holding on to this golden era of who they used to be and thinking that that's what defines them i don't know and I mean, is it may, maybe oh, similar man. of maybe it's true of all of us i mean i don't know because of, i'm not that old yet despite what i said before but, <laughs> but i think like do we all <laughs> like when we're older do we like look back at our youth and and our like our best years like in inverted commas like i don't know do we so maybe it's yeah. not that unusual i guess we I all mean, do I'm that i mean i'm 34 and i do that yeah, so I mean, look back at my best years when I was a, but a teen and had very little worries, and oh I was God. beautiful and everyone loved me. <laughs> Just kidding, but <laughs> like that. No yeah. one loved me when I was a teenager, definitely. No. Oh. <laughs> no, but I don't know. I mean, it's interesting, and also, I mean, even with other actresses like Ava, um, I'm going to actually, I'm going to visit. Ava's friend at Ennismore Gardens tomorrow, Michael Garrity. Michael! Um, yeah, I'm oh, going to see Michael. Oh, he's so sweet, bless him. But when he met Ava, she was already in her, well, late 50s, and she gave, because they became really good friends, and she gave him some pictures of herself signed, and they're also from, you know, when she was young and beautiful, so I don't know, it's just like, I guess that's what they, as you said before, that was their currency, that's what they had to give was that beautiful face, and they just kept on giving it. It's, I don't yeah. know. Interesting. That's what yeah. they were taught that, you know, this is what who you are and this is all you have to give. And I think they they just believed it. 
Well, I feel like acting in a lot of ways, or at least being a film star is a very surface level kind of thing. I mean, it's like what Vivian Lee said, film stars, like one dimensional life, live for fake values and publicity. Yeah. And it's so true. And it's just, it's oh, just really Vivian. sad. Like, keeping it oh, real Vivian. we should do an episode on her um oh we will but yeah oh we will guys just hold on to your hats this is just the beginning um but for someone like hetty like when i saw bombshell it just made me want to go out and watch a lot of her films because i'd seen very little of her on screen and for me like because okay because you guys know i'm obsessed with vivian lee Hetty looked a lot like Vivian Lee. In fact, oh they God. were often they, compared a lot. They really and they did, looked, though. They looked quite similar. So sometimes when you go on eBay and you type in Vivian Lee, pictures of Hetty Lamar will pop up. Yeah, and vice versa. Because people get them confused. Yeah, and vice versa. It's very like, okay, they were cast in the same mold of like the dark hair, the light skin, the Europeanness, and the blue eyes, you know? Um... But then Vivian was so much more versatile as an actress, I think. Yeah, well... uh, And I think Vivian Vivian actively, um, like, fought to be taken seriously, and she actively, like, worked on her movie, or on her film and theatre career. Well, Hedy, I mean, kind of did that as well, like, especially in the 1950s, when she started producing her own films, or at least tried to. Yeah, but... Um, And it didn't really work out. I don't think she had the same kind of dedication. I mean, Vivian was really so dedicated, and she really fought so hard to, like, break out of that mold that she was put in. Whereas Hedy, like, I think it's also apparent from Bombshell, like, liked that image of herself. Like, she flirted with it and she kind of was flattered by it always that she was Mm -hmm. the most beautiful woman. She kind of enjoyed it. Whereas Vivian, I don't think, really ever truly did. I think she really was, like, she wanted to be a serious actress. And, you know, she was beautiful, but I don't think she really cared that much. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think Vivian thought that um, always being called beautiful uh, was kind of a curse because then people didn't pay attention to her actual work. And I think Hetty felt that way as well, but she didn't strive as hard as Vivian to kind of overcome that and prove herself to be something more than just a beautiful face. Mm. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, um, it's hard to say. I do definitely want to see more of Hetty's films, though. So if you have any recommendations... I mean, I saw um, one of the films that sticks in mind is um, Ziegfeld Girl with Judy Garland and Lana Turner. The source of one of my favorite ever gifts. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes. With Lana Turner is like going down the stairs oh, and then yeah, she just kind of like, like <laughs> melts on the floor. It's like, oh, it's like stopping so dramatic, <laughs> Lana Banana. <laughs> I'm not a drama queen. <laughs> I'm not. A, I am not being dramatic. <laughs> yes, that's so it. Good. But it's such an interesting film because all three of them are like at such quintessential like MGM queens, and for different reasons. And all of them like, yeah, it's a it's not a great film. So but who it's, is it? It's Hetty, Lana, and Judy Garland. Yeah, so that's quite a cast, isn't it? Yeah, and I haven't seen it, so I'm gonna watch it. And then I also saw a film called um, Dishonored Lady, which is actually the film where she met. Um, What's his name? The husband with whom she had her children. John Loder. And that's a, a, a quite a good film noir, um, which shows you that she could have potentially gone in the sort of Ava direction because she was yeah. quite... But I think it was a bit too late. It was already after like a series of flops and she was already established and she never really took off as a film noir heroine in the same way that Ava did because I think yeah. people like after the war were ready for like new faces and new kind of new kind of stars and Hedy really had that sort of war time aura about her and I think people after the war like didn't really I don't know want to see her as much which is it's kind of a shame that she never went back to Austria because I think she probably could have done really well uh, in European cinema Obviously, because she was European, but some people just, you know, they don't really fit in with Hollywood, but then they go over to Europe and just, like, create a sensation. And they do these, like, really great kind of existential films <laughs> and films that aren't so Hollywoodized. But again, and maybe she, she would have been good in those, in maybe. German films. or. But again, yeah. she was, like, associated with the glamour of Hollywood so much. And, like, she was, like, this goddess. Like, Garbo or Dietrich never went back to Europe either. I don't know. It's something about them that... 
oh, they were just I think they really were trapped by their images and there was just yeah there were too too much Hollywood to ever do anything else that's why I think Vivian was so smart to to leave Hollywood after Gone with the Wind because otherwise mm. she would have probably got trapped in there as well but she well I think it helped that she was with a man who was very much into pursuing the theater and had had the same um, drive when it came to acting so I think that helped Vivian's case a lot but um, yeah speaking of Laurence Olivier we were going to talk about him on this episode because it was his birthday the last time we recorded but we just forgot to mention him um, but I think we're going to do a separate episode. I think maybe he about his films he, or like him. We can do one about him and Vivian. But oh, I mean, we have to. They deserve like one each. They I deserve think. it. <laughs> I mean, Larry's <laughs> career in films is so like long, and there's so much to talk yeah, about. We can definitely do that. But I can tie in Lawrence Olivier to Hedy Lamarr, and that I do have a picture in my collection of the two of them. At Paramount Studios in 1950, they're in the canteen, and she was there eating lunch. And I don't know what film she was making, but Laurence Olivier was in Hollywood making a film called Carrie with William mm-hmm. Wyler. And so I guess he was just like you know having lunch, and he was like, "Hey, Hetty," and it just like shows him like chatting, and she's sitting, and he's standing, and he's like, you know, like patting her hand, like holding her hand. And I thought it was oh nice. maybe he maybe he thought it was Vivian, and then he was like, "Oh shit, it's he's like Vivian." Oh. <laughs> Oh, wait. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. That's what he said. <laughs> Don't tell Vivian. Vivian, why do you have an Austrian accent? <laughs> because I'm I thought you were heady. supposed to be a Southern Belle in Streetcar. <laughs> I am actually Hedy Lamar. I am Tandaleo. <laughs> oh, poor Hedy. Lovely Hedy. Well, you guys, Bombshell is, I think, still in cinemas in some places. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. It's worth the price of admission. Um, It's a very interesting look into someone who you might not know a lot about. I certainly didn't. I don't know about you, Anthony, but I learned a lot. Mm, I knew a little bit, but obviously, yeah, this really put it in the context for me as well. And I, I, I think... I hope it starts a trend of like other documentaries about other sort of women, especially women of of Hollywood from that era, because mm-hmm. there's so many interesting stories that are untold and that need to be told. So hopefully. Absolutely. Well, Alexandra Dean, get on it. Do more documentaries, please. Vivian and Ava. <coughs> Do one about Vivian <coughs> and Ava. <coughs> And we'd be very, very happy to participate. <laughs> yes, we we would love to consult on that. So hit us up. We're Aww. on Twitter. Yes, we are. <laughs> We're on everything. <laughs> yeah, we are on everything, literally. So. Okay. Well, it's been so well, much fun talking to you, Kendra. As it's always. been amazing talking to you as well, as always. What have you Yay. got coming up this week? Ugh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've just done a review of a very good new book by Michelle Morgan about Marilyn Monroe, which is called The Girl. And it's a really mm-hmm. interesting look at Marilyn as a sort of early feminist. And we oh, okay. will actually have Michelle on our show, but not yes. next episode. I think in two episodes time. I think so. Yeah. End of June. She really I still graciously... have to read the book, which I'm looking forward to. Yes, she really graciously agreed to to be our guest, and we're going to talk about Marilyn and the book, so that's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned. I'm very excited. Yay! Okay, then. Okay. Till the next time. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Bye.